I'm your host, Lee W. Johnson, and welcome to my podcast, where I talk about all things related to magic, witchcraft, demonolatry, and a whole load of other related things. If you would like to find out more about me, get in touch with me, or hire me for a service, please go to my website, leewjohnson.com, or check out my link tree in the description of this podcast. to Monday um, and it's the uh, first Monday of the month so I'm doing the Paths series again. As mentioned I want to go through the Models of Magic by Frater UD. So uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the whole thing uh, instead of asking you to go and uh, you know giving you the link and going there yourself. Um, mostly because the people on the podcast uh, won't be able to see what's on the screen uh, so I'm just going to read it read the text and then as I go through I'll just um, kind of pick things out and just discuss them a bit further all right so let's get into it shall we okay so this is models of magic by Frat UD this this is found on sacredtext.com uh, in the internet book of shadows um, so let's just start reading in the course of exploring the possibilities of new, more efficient techniques of magic, I was struck by the fact that a structuralist view of the history of magic to date might prove helpful. After all, magicians have always aspired to restate the theory and practice of magic in the language of their times, i.e. in different models pertaining to current worldviews. There is, however, some risk involved in such an approach. Models do not really explain anything. They are only illustrations of processes, albeit rather useful ones. What's more, over-systemization tends to obfuscate more than it clarifies, and one should not mistake the map for the landscape anyway, a fallacy a great many Kabbalists seem to be prone to. Thus, the following five, or rather four, plus one models of magic should be seen as a means of understanding the practical possibilities of various magical systems rather than as definitive theories and or explanations of the way magic works. It has proved effective in practice to view magic under the following categories. The spirit model, the energy model, the psychological model, the information model, the meta model. So start with the spirit model. This is purportedly the oldest model of magic, though it may very well have come into existence after or simultaneously with the energy model. It can, we can find it worldwide in shamanic cultures as well as in many religions. Its basic premise is the existence of an otherworldly inhabit, other world inhabited by more or less autonomous entities such as spirits, angels, demons, gods, etc. The shaman or magician is someone who can enter this other world at will, who has traveled widely in it, knows its language and customs, and has made friends, smitten enemies, and or acquired allies and servitors there. This is important as all magic is of these entities making. The modern German word for witch, Hexer, which is feminine, 
illustrates this rather neatly if we take a closer look at its etymology. It derives from Old High German Hagazusa, which translates as fence rider. The Hagazusa is riding the fence between the worlds, i.e. She, she is at home in the world of everyday life as well as in the magical other world of spirits. Um, I think you'll probably recognize this as being um, the model which most people actually talk about. Um, you know, we talk about it a lot on this channel is uh, the, the spirit model, working with the, de with the deities, with the demons, with the angels. Um, working with familiars, with the fetch and all such things, and therefore um, fence riding or hedge riding, as it's often called, um, straddling between the two worlds. So this is a this is one of the models which comes up a lot in uh, most discussions about magic. Uh, let me just continue reading. In the spirit model, magic is seen as being affected by these entities who are usually invisible at least to the average punter, and it is the shaman's or magician's task to make them put his will into effect. This may be done by prayer, by barter, by cajoling, or even vide medieval demon magic, uh, by the application of magical force, threats, and pressure. The other world may have its own geography, but it is usually considered to coexist with the world of everyday life. The key to entering it is an altered state of consciousness, controlled trance or ecstasy, of which the shaman is an expert. The spirit model has prevailed in traditionalist or dogmatic magic until today, some of its most noted exponents being Franz Baden and, at least to a great extent, Aleister Crowley. Alright, so that's the spirit model. Uh, now moving on to the energy model. Um, what you'll also notice is you you know we don't necessarily stick to one particular model um for instance i i use mostly the energy model and the spirit model in my own work um but there's all i, I incorporate all of the models at some point or some degree but my main focus is usually the energy model followed by the spirit model um, i definitely work with energy more than anything um, although that, that might not come across on my channel because I talk about working with spirits a lot, but my own personal work is focused more on the energy model, actually. Um, all right, so reading through the energy model. Uh, the rise of the energy model in the West is marked primarily by the appearance of metamorism towards the end of the 18th century. Anton Mesmer, who was not an occultist, but who was on the other hand regarded by his contemporaries to be a miracle worker of sorts, rediscovered, amongst other things, the ancient healing disciplines of hypnosis and magnetism. He popularized his theory of animal magnetism, which he saw as a subtle force inherent in, in organisms. But he also had heavy use of metal magnets for healing purposes. While the French Revolution put a temporary end to Mesmer's movement, his ideas were not lost. Um, they were taken up by a number of others, primarily occultists, who drew on them while developing their own theories of magic. One of the first to do so was Bulwer-Lytton Bulwer of the Societas Rosicruciana in Anglia, the SRIA. 
who postulated the existence of a subtle energy which he termed Vril. I'm sorry, let me try that again because I, I, I missed the v, Viril. Um, possibly deriving from Latin Vrilitas or force, power, strength. This was actually the model for the name of Bovril, uh, from Latin Bovis or ox and Vril or life force, interestingly enough. Uh, we can observe interesting parallels to this concept in the vitalist theories of biology, which emerged around the same time. Other exponents of the energy model of magic, not then so termed, were Reichenbach, uh, Reichenbach with his concept of odd, uh, Eliphas Levy and his astral light, and Madame Blavatsky, who adopted the theories of prana from yoga, yoga physiology. This was also the time when anthropology and ethnology uh, discovered the Polynesian concept of mana and Asiatic, Asiatic scholars began to concern themselves with Chinese principle of qi or qi. The latter two go to show, of course, that the idea of subtle energies utilized by magic is far older than the 18th century. In fact, we can observe it already in early shamanic cultures. Shamanic magic is very frequently a mixture between spirit and energy model. Example, the shaman may call upon his spirits or gods to give him power, or he may, vice versa, use his power to extort favors from them. And I think that that points back to what I was just saying, you know, um, a lot of a lot of people who practice magic, um, specific, very specifically in a, in a witchcraft um, environment or arena, who are straddling the worlds, um, will often go back and forth between the spirit model and the energy model. Um, okay, continuing to read. In its pure form, however, the shaman or magician is not in need of spirits and other entities. The world is viewed as being vitalized by subtle forces or energies, and his primary task consists in mastering the art of perceiving and manipulating them. As all phenomena are basically energetic in nature, the existence of an other world is not strictly required. Thus, the magician is more of an energy dancer than a fence rider or go-between. But even here, the key to the perception, charging, and general utilization of these forces is again the magical trance, or as chaos magic terms it, gnosis. Theories and practices pertaining to the energy model can be found with many magical authors, but it has, but it has seen its real large-scale popularity only since the 70s, of our century when the general influx of Eastern thinking paced the hippie movement um, made concepts such as chakra and kundalini work a mainstay of most occult disciplines. Strong energy model elements can also be found in Franz Bardner's system of electromagnetic fluids, condensators, etc. Okay, so now moving on to the psychological model. Um, this, again, is one that I definitely incorporate um, very much in relation to, you know, chaos magic, actually. Uh, so let's carry on reading here. Um, Sigmund Freud's theory of the subconscious revolutionized Western thinking in general and, psych and, and psychology, which we did not, as some people are want to believe, invent all by himself, in particular, 
suddenly man was seen as a being which was only partially conscious and in control of itself. While psychology is still fighting for its academic recognition as a science, it has stamped its mark on therapeutic disciplines and on magic. The psychological model of magic does not purport to explain how magic works. Its only premise is that the subconscious, or as Cole Young later retagged it, the unconscious, will do the job if it is properly addressed and or conditioned. This again is achieved by magical trance, suggestion and the use of symbols, i.e. selective sensory input as tools of association and as a means of communication between a magician's conscious will and his subconscious faculty responsible for putting it into effect. Alistair Crowley dabbled a great deal in the psychological model which comes as no surprise as he not only tried to keep up with all major academic disciplines of his time but thought himself to be the world's greatest psychologist into the bargain. But all considered, he remained a traditionalist exponent of the spirit model. After all, Awas was, in his belief, a preternatural entity. Nevertheless, we did have an, he did have a knack of explaining magic in psychological terms to make it sound sensible to the skeptics of his time. A more radical approach was taken by Austin Osmond Spare, whose sigil magic rests on the basic tenets of the psychological model. Spare's brilliant system is, in principle, an inversion of Freud's theory of complexes. By actively suppressing his will in the form of a graphical sigil and forgetting it, the magician creates an artificial complex which then starts to work on similar lines just as suppressed subconscious traumas will cause neurotic behavior, etc. The psychological magician is a programmer of symbols and different states of consciousness. He is not necessarily in need of a transcendent otherworld or even subtle energies, though in practice he will usually work on the assumption that one or the other or both do in fact exist and can be utilized by his subconscious. Authors such as Israel Regardi, uh, Dion Fortune, William Butler, Francis King, William Gray, and to some extent Pete Carroll subscribe to the psychological model which seems to be the primary domain of the English-speaking world of magic and which has become the prevailing paradigm ever since the 70s of this century. Okay, so I think that's quite self-explanatory. Um, if you explore chaos magic you'll definitely come across the psychological model. Alright, so next is the information model. Um, if anybody's worried this is never going to end, don't worry, we are almost there. The information model. Uh, the information model of magic is being developed since about 1987 and there is still considerable, considerable debate about the direction it shall ultimately take. Its basic premises to date are as follows. A. Energy as such is done. It needs information on what to do. This can be so-called laws of nature or direct commands. B. Information does not have mass or energy. Thus, it is faster than light and not bound by the restrictions of the Einsteinian space-time continuum. It can therefore be transmitted or tapped at all times and at all places. In analogy, but of course only as such, 
it may be likened to quantum phenomena rather than relativistic uh, mass energy. It can, however, attach itself to a medium, example, an organism or any other memory storage uh, storage device. Now, I'm sorry, I'm just going to scroll to the end here. I just want to check the date this was actually written. This was 1991. Um, I'm not sure if Rata UD actually took into consideration string theory. Um, because string theory kind of ties quantum physics with um, Einstein's uh, general relativity theory, kind of ties them together um, concerning gravity, mass, um, and such such things. So um, I'm not sure if that was ever taken into consideration at the time of this writing. But if you want to explore the information model further, might want to just take that into consideration. At the start of the theoretical debate, it was still believed that the postulation of morphic, or more precisely, morphogenic, morphogenetic uh, fields as hypothesized by Rupert Sheldrake had to be an essential factor by way of explaining the mode of actual information transmittance. This, however, while still being discussed, does not appear to be strictly prerogative thought. It cannot be it cannot be not ruled out that an act of information magic can create such fields it does seem more probable though that the concept of information matrices will prove to be the most promising theory in the long run the application of the as yet evolving information model has led to the discipline i have termed cyber magic from cybernetics or the science of control systems Contrary to the other models described above, cyber magic does not rely on magical trance or achieve its, achieve its effects. Sorry, to achieve its effects. Rather, the cyber magician activates either his own main memory banks, namely brain and spine, the golf club chakra, so called because of its shape reminiscent of the golf club, or those of the target person. The desired information is then called up and transmitted quite similarly to a copy command on an MS-DOS uh, computer. Um, you know, talking about MS-DOS computers, it's definitely written in the 1990s. Um, the copy command analogy holds good insofar as the information not having mass is not actually lost in the process as energy would be but rather is duplicated. This is an important point as it allows for the magician to perform his magic even in a state of very low physical power, possibly even when almost completely intoxicated, as long as his basic life support systems are still functional and the command syntax is employed correctly. It is, however, obvious that this technique demands a fair control of what used to be termed Kundalini effects, and practice has shown ever and again that a good amount of yoga and meditation experience is a great help in, achieve, in achieving to cyber, cyber magic. Unfortunately, the full theory and practice of cyber magic cannot be described here due to lack of space and will thus have to be the subject of a separate article to be published later. To date, the main experimental research work is being done within the magical pact of the Illuminates of Thanateros, IoT, 
and some quite astounding results have already been achieved, especially in the field of language and knowledge transfer as well as magical healing. I know if you're not familiar with Illuminates of Thanateros, the IOT, it's a chaos magic order or group. Um, in spite of its very modern, untraditionalist outlook, the basic principles of cyber magic may, in truth, well be the oldest form of magic extent. Uh, for we can, for example, find a number of reports in the East to affect a guru, transferring all his knowledge to his successor before his death, which is usually achieved by an act of long mutual meditation. This goes to show that magic as a whole has always existed in many coexisting models. What has changed, however, is the stress laid on one model or the other in the course of time. Uh, and then we go on to the meta model, which is very much kind of a, a, a way of looking at all of them together. Um, the meta model of magic is not a model as such, but rather an instruction on the use of the others. For his only advice to the magician is always use the model most adequate to your aims. And I think that's important to note, um, just a side note here, um, is depending on what work you're actually doing and what your goal is, what your aim is in your magic and your practice at that particular time, because it changes all the time, then you know you can pick a model uh, which is adequate for, for that for that goal. And in through this explanation of the metal model, meta model, he actually goes into um, how you would apply each model to a particular aspect or a particular goal or aim that you have in mind. Um, this may sound a bit trite, but we will see that it is not quite as self-evident amongst magicians as one might expect. It is rooted in chaos magic's assertion, nothing is true, everything is permitted, which ultimately boils down to the pragmatic utilitarianism. Uh, before, here, before this aspect is enlarged upon, though, let us look at the example of the models presented here as applied in practice. We shall take the situation of magical healing to demonstrate how these models differ from each other. In the spirit model, healing is regarded as, regarded as an exorcism. Illness is caused by evil or at least undesired entities which have to be neutralized and removed by the shaman or magician. In the case of a patient with a heart condition, the shaman may, for example, see a green lizard in the vicinity of the heart which must be removed. To achieve this, the shaman will usually call upon the help of his spirits, help his own spirits, who will then handle the matter. Properly exercised, the patient has been freed from the cause of his ailment and can recuperate. In the energy model, ailments are seen to be caused by energetic imbalance. Thus, our heart patient may have too much or too little fire energy in his heart chakra, and magicians and the magician's task consists of restoring that balance of, of energies commonly defined as health. This he may do by laying on hands, by using crystals and precious stones, by magnetism or chakra massage, etc. The balance uh, having been restored, the patient is regarded as having been healed. In the psychological model, illness is considered to be basically psychosomatic in nature. 
The magician will therefore either do a ritual work with the patient which enhances his stamina and resolves his troubles. Example, a Saturn ritual to cope with Saturnian challenges the patient is seen to have avoided by becoming ill. Or he will charge a sigil for the patient's health. Prefer preferably, he will instruct the patient to construct and charge his own sigil. In the information model, the cyber magician will transmit an informational healing matrix into the patient's system or somehow create a morphic field of health and self-healing and let the patient's energies take it from there to do the job of their own accord, i.e. automatically. This rests on the assumption that the energies are still powerful enough to get the work done, otherwise he will either jump back into the energy model to provide the patient with the additional energies required or install another information matrix to create an influx of the power desired. Following the meta model, the magician will decide beforehand in which paradigm he will begin his operation. This must not necessarily exclude the possibility of shifting the paradigms in mid-work or of blending them, of course. Usually the decision is taken on the lines of expediency, efficiency and personal preference. Thus, I personally find healing work with patients easier within the spirit or energy model, while I do seem to get better results with self-healing employing either the psychological or the information model. Then again, cyber magical work tends to take up to two days to show noticeable effects so that it may be more expedient to go for laying on of hands when pain is more acute. Another important point is the time factor. While traditionalist rituals in the spirit model, spirit model may take from half a day to weeks and even months, Operations in the energy model seldomly take much longer than a few hours at the most. If we take Spears' sigil magic as an example for a very fast technique within the psychological model, the operation can be over and done with within 5 to 10 minutes. Information magical operations, on the other hand, only take up about 3 quarters of a second, a time span which can be cut even shorter by an experienced cyber magician. Self-evident as the metamodel may seem, in practice, many people seem to feel somewhat uncomfortable with its inherent relativism. This is very much the case for beginners in magic. A typical dialogue on the subject might run on the following lines. Are there spirits? In the spirit model, yes. And in the energy model? In the energy model, there are subtle energy forms. And what about the psychological model? Well, in the psychological model, we are dealing with projections of the subconscious. What happens in the information model then? In the information model, there are information clusters. Yes. But are there spirits now or not? In the spirit model, yes. <laughs> um, this logical loop is, of course, usually experienced as a pretty frustrating exercise. But while the asker claims that the magician is trying to avoid the issue, he is at the same time overlooking the fact that he himself is basically only restating the old yen for absolute objective truths, not really a quantum magical approach, to say the least. However, the aspiring cyberpunk magician of today 
cannot expect to be spared the pains of coming to terms with the notion that freedom and dogma are mutually exclusive. Ubique daemon, ubique deus. Um, so that's the article from Frat UD, copyright 1991. Uh, yeah, I do recommend Frat UD's books. Um, they are excellent. They're really good. Um, especially Practical Sigil Magic. If you really want to get into Sigil, Ma Sigil Magic, Practical Sigil Magic is a fantastic book. Um, so, yeah, so that's the uh, the Models and Magic by Frater UD. And you can find this, as I said, on um, Sacred Texts uh, in the Internet Book of Shadows. You just search through Sacred Texts and you'll find it. Models of Magic by Frater UD. Um, if you've never heard of sacred texts, this was one of those go-to sites about 20 years ago. Um, you know, we all went to sacred texts to get our, get our, our reading in, <laughs> but um, it's still around. Um, I don't know how long, I don't know when this was started, but uh, yeah. Anyway, okay, so that's Models of Magic, and I hope you enjoyed that. I hope it explained a few things uh, regarding the different ways we view um, how to do magic. Welcome to the Ask Lee segment of my channel. And if you have any questions regarding magic, spirituality, witchcraft, humanology, the occult, whatever it may be, then all you have to do is drop it into the comments of any of the Ask Lee videos, and I will add it to the queue. And I do these every Wednesday, so just look out for your questions. Welcome to my channel. You are entering the world of magic and mysticism with your host, Lee W. Johnson. Keep the lights on and help improve the channel by becoming a supporter for just $2.99 per month. Hit the join button. Okay, welcome back and let's start with the first question and it's from Jake Colt9783. Have a question. Uh, it's with regard to the moon and void, of course. The general consensus is that nothing should be started during this time or any magic performed as it will be doomed to fail. But how did that com come to be? Could I get your take on this? Also, if you perform daily rituals, are they null and void if done during a void, of course, moon? And finally, let's say uh, you ask for something from the divine, universe, God, etc. And this is during a void of course moon. Uh, does that sit in your subconscious mind? If you can get it, get it in there in the first place. And when the moon enters a sign, will it then send it? Uh, kind of like sending a text message, but with no signal. And then as soon as you get a signal, it gets sent. I could not think of a better analogy, sorry. Um, thanks for reading this. Regards, Jake. Okay, um, probably better to actually ask an astrologer this question, um, but I'll give my take on it anyway. So, for anybody who's not sure, um, Jake obviously does know, but anybody who's not sure, 
Void of course moon happens um, round about every three days, uh, two to three days. It's when the moon moves from one zodiac sign into another, the next zodiac sign. And during that phase, during that movement, um, it's kind of not in any zodiac at all, um, which is why it's void of course. Um, as it's moving through its course, it becomes void. Um, so what this generally means is that with the the moon energy combined with the energy of the zodiac and obviously the zodiac signs have a, a planetary force connected to them so we're looking at planetary forces also um you know we get a particular energy come through at that particular time um and so when it's moving between signs, it's kind of in a void space. So it's not really, it's not really picking up any particular energy. And therefore, doing magic during these times can leave the results or, or, or cause the results to fail. Um, and not, I wouldn't say fail completely every single time, but it's, it's usually advised not to do magic during this time. So the i think the difficulty here is that not everybody works with planetary energies or even the the moon energies itself um and they still have success with magic but so what you might find is that the the successes are slightly dulled um you know there are a lot of different energies out there there's not just the the lunar energy or the planetary energies or the or the energy which we get from the zodiac slash planets um there's also the energy of the elements um there's the energy of just everything that's around you there's the you know if you're working with the um, kabbalistic system there's particular energies there that you work with there are spiritual energies from the de demonic from the angelic from the gods and the goddesses there's lots and lots of different types of energies out there so when we're working with the lunar energies and the planetary energies um, this is something you might want to take into, into consideration is the void of course moon however as i said there are lots of different energies out there so i wouldn't say some will say that it will fail um, but during void of course moons i would say that the energy in a, as a whole is kind of dampened um, is dulled slightly it doesn't mean that you cannot do magic it's just advised that you don't because if you want the best success you know you may want to align all the different energies up um but you know it's just one of those things that you, I think you need to test and experiment with. Try doing magic at a void of course moon and then try doing magic at a particular time where all the specific energies are lining up. Um, but doing things like your daily practices, um, uh, banishing rites, things like that, you know, if you happen to do them during a void of course moon, it may, may not have the full effect for that day, but the next day they will. So. You know, then that's a constant daily thing, a long-term thing that you are keeping up. So, you know, it's not really going to have that much of a, or, or really have that much of an effect on on your um, overall practice. When it comes to your other question in regards to, you know, if you kind of do the magic um, during the void of course moon, does it sit there until the the moon moves into a different sign and then it gets sent off? No, not really because um, what you've done is you've done the magic and you've kind of if you think of it kind of like um, 
building up the energy, doing the magic, and then throwing it at its at, the, at a target. Um, the target you're throwing it at is a void, um, so it just kind of goes into a void. There's no, it's not picking up on any particular energy. It's not picking up or, or going to any particular energy. So it really just goes straight into a void. Um, so in that case, you know, it, it's then worth worth actually doing it again at a proper time. But you know, if this is why. If you are going to align with all of as many different energies as you can, um, and you are going to include lunar energies, lunar phases, you are going to include planetary um, um, energies, then you will want to look at doing your magic at a particular time, and that will be in conjunction with the um, zodiac that the moon is in, um, the day of the week aligned with the planetary force um, and also the planetary hours. Um, so you've got all these different things that you can align up um, to get the best benefit you can. Um, I guess we could say it's a bit like, um, I'm trying to think of an, an analogy. If you were to, uh, well, if you were to do any a magic spell, a spell working um, and then you were able to go back in time and do exactly the same spell working but on a day which is more aligned with more benefit for that spell working you'll get a bit of a boost uh, so you'll get more benefit from it if you then align that to the proper planetary hour a bit more of a boost if you were then to align that with um, the moon in a particular zodiac, which is also working with a, a, a planetary element, and the moon is either waxing or waning, depending on the work you're doing. Um, so, you you know, you've got that lunar energy also, again, a bit more of a boost. So each time you align with a, with a different energy, you get more of a boost in your magic. So if it's void, of course, you've basically got this situation where planetary energies and lunar energies, which are connected to very to a lot of things. Not everybody follows astrology, um, not everybody follows the moon phases, and that's fine. Um, but I do find that when we align with these particular energies and the more energies we can align with, the, the better our magic becomes. Um, but during those void, void of course states, uh, you know, you just really just putting it into a void um so when you're going to do your magic you know when we do magic we usually plan to do it if it's an emergency thing we do it on the fly um and if you go back you'll probably find it wasn't during a void of course um it could be but you'll probably find it wasn't but you know we may do magic on the fly that's fine you can do the magic it's maybe at a, 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 a coincidentally at a great time it may coincident, coincidentally be at a bad time during the void of course um and but you're still going to do the magic you're still going to push it out there um it doesn't mean it just you know we do say it goes into the void so therefore it goes into nothing but as i said we work with a lot of different energies there's a lot of different energies that are around us at a particular time it's not just the planetary and the lunar um so we can pick up on energies regardless of what happens with the moon. All right, so a bit convoluted, but um, I think you might you should understand what I'm trying to say at least. Um, 
Okay, let's go on to the next question. Uh, 18. This is from Rachel One. Uh, can you do an episode where you speak about your personal success stories with magic, physical healing, money, success, protection, cursing, etc.? Um, I'll try. I'm, I've been trying to think of some of the things, um, and you know, obviously, some of this is very, very personal. So I'm not going to speak about that on a public forum. Um, and when it comes to success with cursing or counter cursing. I'm not really going to talk about that on a public forum either. Like I have in the past, but uh, you know, I don't really want to. Um, I do remember an incident um, where somebody came to me and said they've just been uh, diagnosed with cancer. Um, it was early stage, though. I think it was stage one. It may have been stage two, but it was very early, uh, which was a very good thing. So it can be caught early in you know, something done about it. And uh, I said, I'll, I'll do, do a working to see what I can do with the cancer. And um, she was going back to the doctor in two weeks time to, you know, go and get a follow up. Um, so anyway, I did the magic. Uh, it, would, it was actually at a time when I was exploring um, Albert Valdo's core shamanism. Um, so, well, Lola is not really core shamanism, but his form of core shamanism, we could say, uh, neo shamanism, if we want to call it that. And so I, would, I worked with Mother Jaguar to attack the cancer. Um, so I waged war on the cancer cells. And anyway, she went back to the doctor to follow up, follow up, and the doctor apologized profusely because the cancer wasn't there. Um, we don't know if she made a mistake. We don't know if the magic worked. You know, you know, doctors do make mistakes, so maybe he made a mistake and you know his original diagnosis was wrong. I, I, who knows? Anyway, so that's that was one that I, I would consider to be a success story. Um, I've really been trying to think of of things. I did think of others and then I forgot to write them down. And I forgot. Um, I might not. I might might need to actually come back to this question because I can't remember anything. And you know, some of the stories I, I, I suppose some people would consider them success stories. I just consider them kind of normal. Um, so anyway, I'll I'll probably have to come back to this one. Um, I'll I'll give it some more thought. Um, but that was the one story that usually comes up when somebody asks that. Anyway. Okay, so let's go on to Neo Knight two two two. Uh, more questions needed, no problem. I'll probably never run out of questions. Good, great, carry on. Okay, um, there are many demons with the ability to teach you about past, present and future. Which demons would you recommend to help with making peace with things that happened in the past that you, can, that you just can't let go no matter what you try? Overcoming emotional attachments to things that happened or even losing physical objects that meant a lot to you or relationships you've lost. Which demons um, can help you uh, close those chapters, so to speak? I would definitely just recommend Leviathan here. Um, I find Leviathan to be fantastic for this type of thing. And also for, you know, if you've lost a loved one, um, not just, um, you know, a relationship breakup, but also with death. Um, 
the Khan Leviathan can definitely help with this, the emotional balancing of it. Um, Leviathan is known for bringing emotional balance back if you are, you know, kind of out of whack. Um, but, you know, that can extend into many things. So if you if you have a past event which is causing you emotional turmoil, emotion, emotional unbalance, then Leviathan can definitely help. And I find what Leviathan does, he kind of washes you in his waters, um, kind of washes you clean type of thing. Um, and that allows the emotions to kind of um, kind of level out but also he kind of um, allows you to step back a bit and see what's happening see what's going on um, because when we're in an emotional unbalanced state we are usually in it we're in the fray and you know we're kind of being thrown from one corner to the other um, and it's very difficult to kind of see what's going on and give ourselves a break just to um, try and sort it out. Um, so that Leviathan's energy kind of allows us to step back and just sort things out from an objective perspective. Um, so Leviathan's very good for that. I would definitely recommend him for that. Um, second question... Uh, I watched a video of yours where you spoke about the cosmic soup and that everything is connected there, that spirits, people, etc. become a part of the cosmic soup and they don't have any business to finish in our realm anymore. Uh, if that's the case, then how and why are we still able to contact specific spirits like ancestors, people or pets who passed on or even entities like demons, gods and goddesses, etc. Uh, if they become part of the cosmic soup and don't stay around in our world. How is it possible uh, that we're still able to connect with their specific energy for decades and generations after they have been alive or around here in our world? Okay, so this is where part of the mysteries come in, um, but also we have to try not to think in three and four dimensional states. Uh, this is five dimensional reality that we're talking about. So when it comes to spirits and ancestors and, you know, it doesn't matter if Cosmic Soup is only one worldview. Um, others, Wicca may talk about going to the Summerlands when people die and things like that, but um, others may be, uh, um, you know, you're, it's a pure soul where we die and then we go to an afterlife and then we come back and we're reincarnated. Um, so all of these really really do bring up the same question how do we contact these spirits centuries later we can still contact the dead put dead dead or the dead spirit the spirit of a dead person um and talk to them even though it's quite possible that they've died been to the afterlife and reincarnated or got thrown back into the cosmic soup etc 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 so all of these raise the same question and it really is because we're talking about five-dimensional reality. Um, we, we're viewing this in terms of time. So, you know, we're born, we live our life, we die, we go to the afterlife, we're reincarnated, or we go into the cosmic soup and we get mixed up and then we get pulled out and, and reincarnated again um, as a variety of spirits. But it's that timeline that we're, we're considering, and that timeline is therefore lateral and time is not lateral uh, sorry time is that's linear 
time's not linear, it's lateral. So the past, present and future don't really exist. Everything is happening in the now. Um, so somebody who died 10,000 years ago, we can still speak to because they are still alive. Um, they were also born and died on the, in the same moment. They have become various people and spirits and entities in the same moment, which is the now. So I think you see what I'm getting at here. Um, it's all happening now. Everything's happening now. There is no timeline here. Um, we obviously need to function in a linear timeline because that's how we, how our brains work and how we function. Um, but within the mystery, that timeline disappears. There is no such thing as that timeline. It's all happening in the same now. Um, and I'm going to leave that there because I think that answers the question. If I carry on, I'm going to start confusing things. Um, but if it is still confusing, just let me know and we'll discuss it further. Okay. Um, all right. So I'm going to end that today's show here. I just want to check. Oops. No, I've got to press that button first and then do a swipe thing and then go back there. All right. So the next question is also from Neil Knight who asked me to speak about Baphomet. So I'm going to do that next week. Um, and depending on how long that is, maybe some more questions. Okay. So have a great one for now, and I'll see you then. Cheers, bye-bye. This podcast was brought to you by, well, myself, Lee W. Johnson. To find out more about me, please visit my website at leewjohnson.com or check out my link tree in the description of this podcast. If you like the video format, then subscribe to my YouTube channel. That's me for this week. Hope to hear from you soon. Thanks for listening.